Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. The Revolution are coming off of a big road win down in Orlando, snapping a six-game winless run, which is the longest run in Bruce Arena's tenure as head coach of the New England Revolution. It is an important three points as it moves them tied to seventh place with the Chicago Fire, uh, Orlando City, and Inter-Miami, who are in seventh, eighth, and ninth, respectively. And the New England Revolution have a game in hand, so suddenly the playoff picture looking a little bit more promising for the Revs going into next week. I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today is Sean Donahue. Sean, how's it going? It's going great. I'm glad we're not talking about another 0-0 draw today. And Spurs, as of this recording, are top of the table. So no complaints over here. Yes. And that, do we want to bring back the 20, Tottenham 22nd? <laughs> do you, do you want to, or, or are you just going to be smug and say they're we, at the top of the table? I'll just leave it at that. We can save uh, save a longer conversation for some other time. <laughs> well, you know, I do want to hop into this conversation about the Revs because you're right. I'm glad we're not talking about a 0-0 draw. I'm glad we're not talking about a frustrating game and more drop points. This is really the first game I think the Revs in a long time have exceeded expectations and have gone out and had a really, really strong, complete win. And it came with a very, I'll say, weakened lineup, but it certainly was a lineup that you weren't expecting three goals from. Um, so, Sean, you know, 3 nothing was the final score before I go to your key, key takeaway. In case our listeners weren't watching, which I'm sure they were, 3 uh, nothing victory, goals from Matt Polster, Wilfred Kaptoum, and Henry Kessler, uh, three guys you, you certainly don't expect to see on the score sheet, but uh, all coming through with big plays. Tommy McNamara, uh, who I think has gotten a lot of heat from us and some other people, two assists yesterday, uh, and really just an overall good game. We were talking about in the pre-show, Sean, not a whole lot of criticism to go around, just a really solid, complete win. So with that being said, Sean, what's your key takeaway today? Yeah, I mean, I think I think both of us saw that lineup that the rest put out there and were probably ready to criticize the lineup. Uh, and then the game played out in a way that I don't think any of us uh, were expecting it to. It was kind of shocking to see the Revolution win 3 nothing, as you pointed out, with that lineup. Um, you know, my key takeaway is this is really the first time, I think, all season we've seen the Revolution put in a you know truly complete performance, uh, team complete complete performance from the entire team. I think when we saw this lineup, we knew that you know, Orlando was going to be able to focus in and Carles heel and kind of shut him down or at least try to shut him down. And I think they actually did a pretty good job of shutting down Carles heel. He did have that one assist, but it was on a set piece. You know, they put two guys on him a lot. They were very physical with him. And I, I think they limited his effectiveness and the run of play. And, you know, when you do that and you see a lineup out there that has Tommy McNamara as your other winger, uh, Justin Rennicks as your striker, who, you know, hasn't been particularly effective at putting the ball in the back of the net. Um, and, you know, just a midfield of, you know, Masial, Captoom, and Matt Polster, you wonder where the opportunities and goals are going to come from if Carlos Heel is shut down. Uh, so, you know, so many guys stepped up in this game. I think Tommy McNamara, you could argue, maybe had the best game, um, his best game in a Revolution uniform. I think you could make the argument that Wilfred Captoon maybe had his best game in a Revolution uniform, even though I, I, you know, I still have a few criticisms of some of his play. Um, and Henry Kessler, I think you could argue, had his best game in a Revolution uniform. Um, other guys, one of their best games, you know, Matt Polster, one of his best games in a Revolution uniform. So there were a lot of guys out there that put in really, really good shifts and stepped up in what was a very weakened lineup. You know, Tommy McNamara with three key passes, two assists. Um, just overall, a lot of guys deserve a lot of credit. 
And, you know, this season, the Revs have had a lot of injuries, missed a lot of guys. They were missing a lot of guys for this game. Uh, guys haven't really stepped up as much as they needed to in the past this season. Last year, we saw guys step up when guys were out, when Bruce Arena rotated. This year, we haven't seen it. And this game, we finally saw it. Um, and just a lot of guys, like I said, stepping up that haven't had their best performances this season. And this game, they did. So... Um, it was very nice to see that, and it's something that you hope the Revolution can carry forward. They absolutely needed it in this game. They've needed it a lot of times this season and haven't gotten it. Uh, but a true team performance and uh, a lot of guys that deserve a lot of credit because like, when both of us saw this lineup, I don't think either of us were expecting three goals or you know even three points. No, it, it was not a game I was expecting a lot of offensive firepower from. And you, you know, obviously with Bo and Barrero out the last couple of weeks, we've seen the results from those games. And Sean, you and I talked about it. Uh, I don't remember if it was on the podcast or if it was off the podcast um, last week following the TFC game, but they're playing very defensively and kind of staying back. And then they played Vrioni uh, in the last 30 or 40 minutes. And it kind of felt like Bruce was just kind of trying to get, get to the game, end of the game and steal a point. Um, and, and I kind of figured that coming into this game, maybe they're going to park the bus, you know, really try to limit Orlando's chances, which they did do. Um, but obviously, I think this week there was a little extra element and there was a little bit more creativity um, working the ball up the field into the final third and relying on some different players to kind of make runs into the box to kind of attack different areas. Uh, and, and this really worked. Uh, I give Bruce Arena a lot of credit for coming out here with this game plan and not only having an amazing performance defensively, uh, but really making the most of their chances on the other end. Um, Matt Polster too. I want to give him a shout out too. If you watch the first 15 minutes of this game, if you turned off the game in minute 15, you would have just assumed the Revs would have lost this game, you know, two or three, nothing. This, this really was an ugly first 10 or 15 minutes. And yes. there was almost at one point where Matt Polster, I think he's either talking to, to Captoom or Massiel, but he has the ball at his feet. He kind of is looking around and he's kind of moving his arms, kind of like a calm down motion. And I think in that moment, you know, if you watch the first 10, 15 minutes, the Revs were trying to do a lot of long balls. They're really forcing a lot of things. There were kind of some frustration fouls. Um, and, and I think there was that moment where, Matt Polster kind of with his veteran presence kind of said, let's, let's slow it down. Let's do little things right. Um, and you know, this is the game where Matt Polster and Tommy McNamara who are veterans, um, and know how to grind out games. It comes invaluable. Uh, and speaking of Matt Polster, you know, his run into the box, which led to that first goal and, and which really changed the entire complexion of this game and really got Orlando on the back foot and really frustrated. Uh, he made that run a couple of times in the first couple of minutes. And, you know, normally Matt Polster, that's not his job to kind of get up there and create chances. But in this situation, um, you know, that that's something where his instincts, he's able to sneak in behind a couple of guys and make a good run. Um, you know, it, it really paid dividends. So I think this was a game that really for the first time this year, we we saw them kind of overperform. And I think the veterans on the team that are usually in the starting lineup and, and you know, I think they kind of really held together the composure. Uh, and, and as I say, I think Bruce did an amazing job structuring this game. So I, I positive marks all the way around. Well, you, you made a great point about the first 10, 15 minutes, because I, I think watching the first 10 minutes, you know, was how I expected this game to play out based on what I've seen from the players that were on the field, you know, this season so far. Um, they played very defensive. They were kicking it long. They, you know, weren't trying to possess the ball. They weren't really trying to create much. And then something changed, you know, around the, I don't know, 12, 13 minute mark where they started playing a lot better. 
um, actually playing soccer instead of, instead of kind of trying to park the bus. Um, and you know, just to a certain extent, they did park the bus a bit. They had, you know, 10 guys behind the ball a lot. Um, but, you know, they actually started trying to do something and create something where those first, you know, 10, 12 minutes, <laughs> I, I thought we were going to have a, a very not enjoyable game to watch. Um, and, you know, it was playing out as I expected it to. And then, you know, the rest of the game, they found a way to actually play soccer and and, and get the win. So um, very impressive performance from a lot of guys. Very impressive tactically. I got to give Justin Renick a lot of credit. He didn't score and, you know, maybe maybe should have done better with a couple chances he did have. But, you know, outside of that, uh, and it's hard to say outside of that for a striker, but outside of that, I think he put in a very good game too and possibly his best game in a Revolution uniform. So, um, so many guys stepped up when they needed to in this game. And like you said, uh, you know, this might be the one game this season where you can say the Revs overperformed uh, because I think if you put out this lineup, um, I think if this was your starting lineup for most of the season, uh, you'd look at this team as a, as a team that wasn't competing for a playoff spot, but as a team that was probably competing for you know bottom of the table. Um, but you know, one other one other last point I wanted to make, Matt Polster, you mentioned him. I, I think the one thing this lineup did do with how how many defensive guys were out there was it gave Matt Polster the freedom to make those runs and know there were going to be guys behind him covering. Um, where you know when the Reds played that four four two diamond earlier in the season or last year, you know Polster didn't necessarily have the freedom to go forward because there wasn't that defensive help. Um, and even to a lesser extent, when they kind of play the four two three one and McNamara is next to him, I still don't think he has quite as much freedom as he had in this game. So um, it was nice to see that aspect and that you know that side of Polster's game because he ha- had that freedom because he had more defensive help. And again, I, I want I, we've criticized Bruce a lot for um, you know kind of his lineup changes and uh, tactics and you know moving Tommy McNamara to the wing to force Cap to him in the lineup instead of playing uh, Rivera, uh, you know playing Josie too much. We, we've really questioned a lot of his moves this year. I give him a lot of credit knowing he has kind of a weakened team, knowing a lot of players are available. Instead of playing the same kind of style as they did last week, he adjusted to kind of this Christmas tree formation, which, you know, the personnel I think was just a lot better suited to play. So um, yeah, great, great all the way around a plus for pretty much everyone involved in this game. Um, I want to kind of focus on the defense. We've talked about offensively, how, not limited they were, but um, I, I, my key takeaway here, you know, if you go back to our podcast three, four weeks ago, I talked about kind of the lack of focus and the mental errors and kind of just the dumb mistakes this team has made. And right now we are on third consecutive clean sheet. Uh, haven't conceded since I believe the Philadelphia game, which seems like ages ago. Um, Henry Kessler, if he made a mistake yesterday, I didn't see it. Um, really, really solid game. He seems to be back at his form that we kind of expect him to be at. Andrew Farrell has really stepped up the past couple of weeks. Um, I'm not sure if this is just them getting back in form and getting healthy, but this was a game that they were tested a lot. And I, I also will say, I thought there were some mistakes defensively in the midfield. There were not some glorious moments from certain people in front of them. Uh, Captoom especially. You know, I know this is going to be mostly a positive podcast, and he did score, so I want to kind of make this a little bit of positive. But um, there were some runs that got in behind him. Uh, the shot that rattled off the post. Um, if you watch Wilfred Captoom in that uh, moment, um, I, I forget who runs around him. Uh, I think it was Torres who, who shot the ball off the post. But if you watch Captoom on this play, he's in good position to kind of step in front of Torres on that play and. Uh, he doesn't. He's just kind of very slow to react and really gives up a chance there. So I, I didn't think Captain really was great defensively today, uh, but the defense really stepped up and kind of covered those shortcomings. Um, Farrell and, and Kessler both had some really good moments in the box where they are physical and they didn't step down and they blocked shots. And overall, I, Petrovic had another amazing game. 
I, you know, I don't think we need to spend too much time talking about how great Petrovic was when he was called into action. But uh, overall, if you look at this, uh, there were 18 shots by Orlando. Three were on target. Um, expected goals, 1.1 from Orlando. Um, this defense really stepped up when they needed to, and this was one of the better defensive performances on the season overall as well. So again, more positives. Uh, you know, I, I think this is mostly going to be a positive podcast, but this week and the past two weeks, I, I, there's very little I can say about this defense and it's completely different from the defense we saw a month ago that was conceding penalty kicks left and right in New York city. Yeah. And I think Kessler deserves a spot on the MLS team of the week this week. I think he played that well. Um, can't say enough good things about his game. And I also think Brandon by and Dewan Jones have you know, this game, especially, but even over the past few weeks have been a bit better about picking and choosing when to go forward and leave the rest of the defense exposed. I thought they did a much better job of kind of being, and maybe that was Bruce Arena's tactics to play more defensive this game, but I thought they'd been a much better job of being selective about when to make a run forward. Um, and, and that certainly helped on defensive end as well. But, you know, just having all four defensive starters out there for an extended period for multiple games in a row uh, certainly has helped a lot. I do think there's a, you know, we can talk about it later, but I think, you know, there's a significant drop off in depth at just pretty much every position when one of those guys goes out. Um, so just having those guys together has made a world of difference. And Petrovic, again, phenomenal game. Um, the one one notable miscue from him was when he tried to go out for that cross and, and tried to punch it out and just missed it completely. His judgment on going out for crosses and how to handle them definitely needs to improve. Um, I think when it does, he'll be sold to Europe. Uh, but uh, you know he's been a phenomenal goalkeeper for the Revolution, and, and to be honest, I think saved some shots that I, I'm not 100% convinced Matt Turner would have saved. So, um, again, fantastic job by the defense, and you know the defense was the problem all year long, and it's been really solid the past three games, um, for the most part. Uh, and now it's just you know the offense finding its footing, and they did today. I don't think with, I don't think the offense we saw today is the offense we're going to be seeing when people are healthy or anything close to it. Um, so you know that offense when people get healthy needs to find its footing, but they found a way to get three goals in this one, and the defense just continuing to play pretty well. Uh, those are our key takeaways. They were presented to you by the Rebellion. Go to anyrebellion.org to learn more about how you can get involved with the Rebellion and supporter culture. And so all that information is at anyrebellion.org. Thank you to the Rebellion uh, for their partnership with this podcast. Sean, we have a ton of listener questions, and we also need to talk about the closing of the transfer window, which I know a lot of people are very excited for us to talk about. I have a lot of thoughts on that. So we're going to skip right into listener questions today. They cover most of the stuff anyway. Uh, Sam Minton says, what do you think of the formation that the Revs deployed tonight? Uh, and Mike Kennedy also says the three central midfielders Bruce de- de- deployed tonight, something done out of necessity, or do we see this as a wrinkle in a future match? So overall, Sean, uh, what was your thought about the formation? And again, do you think this was kind of done because they needed to do it? Or do you think this might be something that Bruce Arena applies in the future? Yeah, I mean, I didn't like it when I first came out. I don't think either of us did. Uh, but yet, change your view when you saw the results. Um, I don't think, I think this is a formation out of necessity. Um, I think, you know, the guys that are missing. Uh, Rioni seems like he got injured in warmups or something. He wasn't available. Gustavo Bo wasn't available, even though Bruce said he'd be available earlier. Uh, <laughs> Dylan Barrero not available, even though Bruce seemed to act like he'd be available this weekend. So I, I think it was done out of necessity um, to a certain extent. I do think Bruce had options to, you know, maybe put Damian Rivera out there or Arno Tristison out there and play a bit more offensive minded of a lineup. Um, but I, I, you know, I think he saw this game as a grind out game with the guys who were missing. Um, you know, knowing now that Rioni was injured, I think that probably impacted his tactics and maybe got him to play more defensively. I, I don't think Bruce Arena thought they were going to win this game 3-0. I think he thought they were going to, you know, hopefully grind out a one nothing win or a 0-0 draw. Um, it just worked a lot better 
than I think anyone expected. So, um, you know, I like this formation in road games um, when you're you know trying to play compact, when you're trying to get a point. Um, I don't think if you play this formation on a regular basis, you're going to have a lot of three nothing wins. I think it was done by necessity. And I, I think, you know, we're praising the revolution a lot. I do think we have to note that Orlando has not been playing well either. Um, they have one win since, you know, they pointed out the revs have zero wins since June 18th. Orlando has one win since June 18th and four losses, uh, including some losses to some not very good team. I mean, heck, they lost to Arsenal. So that should tell you how bad they are. Uh, you know, I, I, I think we do have to point that out when we're looking at their lineup and how or the revs lineup and how it played. Um, again, a lot of credit to Bruce, but I don't think this is going to be what we see going forward unless it's a situation where the revs are, you know, uh, undermanned or on the road against a very strong team and are trying to grind out a draw. Sean, Orlando is the a U.S. Open finalist, U.S. Open Cup finalist here, probably U.S. Open Cup champion. So uh, I, I think you're kind of um, underplaying how big of a win this is. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, no, Orlando is a I, I think when we we'll talk about Rev's chances later on. But when I was listing off games a few weeks ago about winnable games, um, e- even though this is a road game down in the heat, I think this was one that. Certainly the Rebs were able to potentially win or take away a point. Um, Orlando seems to be fading a little bit, and um, yeah, things are just not going in the right direction for them right now. Uh, but getting back to the formation, too, I, I kind of disagree with you that this is strictly – well, I, I say disagree. I, I think you kind of came around to the point I was going to make here, which is that I, I think in a road game, I'm not opposed to seeing this formation as well. And we don't know how much longer Gustavo Bo is going to be out. Um, this seems to be a one-week injury that has lasted three weeks. Um just remembering the Carlos Hill saga and the Matt Turner saga and how those injuries kind of were longer than anticipated. Uh, I, I wonder if this is an injury that's longer than anticipated too. So I wouldn't be shocked if we go up to Toronto and instead of playing the formation we played at home last week, uh, we might kind of deploy a Christmas tree formation and try to take away a point. Um, I don't think this is going to be the formation going forward. Uh, I, I think Bruce Arena is going to want to deploy some wingers when Barrero is back. Um, but ultimately, you know, if you need to bunker in and you're missing some wingers up top and you don't have speed on the wings, um, you know, I, I wouldn't be opposed to the Christmas tree formation with uh, uh, Vrioni up top uh, either. And the other thing, too, that I think this does very well is that the Revs at times, you know, they get overrun in the midfield. And when you have three central midfielders who can all kind of get back and play defense, not only we talked about Polster running up forward, but I also think, too, it allows Brandon By and Dewan Jones to go up and maybe attack a little bit more, knowing that you have some midfielders that are able to kind of cover that space behind them if, if they're exposed there. Um, you know, the first big chance the Revs had in this game was kind of a, a long ball down the left side for Dewan Jones that he ran onto and crossed for Justin Renex, and Renex just barely missed it. If Renex gets his head on that, that's probably going in. Um, there were a number of times Dewan Jones had a, a another sh- a shot in this game uh, where because he was able to go up and commit a little bit more forward, um, and that's where Dewan Jones is his best. So, um yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if we see it again. I do think that this is a wrinkle that Bruce Arena can kind of keep in his back pocket. And, you know, with Rioni up top, um, maybe with, I don't know, I guess we didn't improve our central midfield, did we? Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I in hindsight, a Christmas tree with Legette and Carlos Hill probably would have worked out really, really well. I guess we're never going to see that. But I don't know. I could, I could see this being something we deploy in road games when we need one point as opposed to three points. <laughs> you make a, you make a good point. If this was going to be something they're going to play more often, the jet probably would have been more valuable um, uh, on that point. And I think the the trades they made in the um, the summer window, which we'll get to later, I think don't really suit 
this formation when they seem to be trying to, you know, open up the opportunity for them to go with more wingers. But with with the injuries they're dealing with, with you know, Ismael Fajori, um, I think he's he's injured. I don't know how long that's going to be. Bo and Barrero obviously injured. We don't know how long much longer they're going to be. We thought they're going to be back this week. Um, at least Bruce seemed to think they're going to be back, back last week, uh, a week ago or whatever. Um, and you know, Rioni's surprise injury that you know maybe we do see this a lot more. But I, I don't think that the roster is necessarily constructed to to play this game regularly. And I think. The, the transfers they made in the summer window don't imply that they're trying to go with this formation because I think they got, you know, kind of more away from the personnel that would have worked in this. And especially if Arnold Tristan goes away, too, because I think he could fit this formation, too, as kind of your backup. But, you know, if, if they end up selling him, you know, in the next week, which sounds like could happen, um, you know, the, the depth of the play of this formation is really limited. Yeah, I don't think we're going to talk much about Arnar when we get to the, the back end. So just to fill in our listeners, if they're not uh, aware of that, there are a lot of rumors swirling that Arnor is interested in moving back to Sweden. Um, and it seems like there is some negotiations going on between the Revolution and whichever team is interested. I, I don't have the team in front of me, but um, the Revs do have an option for Arnor Christensen, a team option for next year. And so I feel like the Revs feel they have leverage. And I'm sure the teams that are trying to acquire Arnor are saying you obviously are going to decline that option. So uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if the Revs uh, end up getting that some sort of transfer fee for him. Cause you can, you know, even if it's like 250,000, you can convert that to GAM. Uh, and that really kind of helps your salary cap situation for next season. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Um, but yes, uh, moving on, uh, Den Dun 29 says revs defense silently coming into their own. Uh, this comment came in before my key takeaway presented by the rebellion. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I'm shouting it, uh, very loudly that this defense is awesome. Uh, but Denton29 agrees. Uh, he also says, has this team been over-critiqued and criticized when injuries and transfers have played a huge role? I say yes, yes, yes. And I went and I looked up, Sean, how many games the Revs have played with three designated players on the field this year. Do you know how many they've played? I, I do not know. I Probably maybe two. <laughs> One, two, three. Three MLS games this year. The Revs have had all three designated players on the field. Uh, they haven't had three designated players on the field since May 21st when Gustavo Blow played 45 minutes in a 3-2 win over Cincinnati. So this team has really not been at full strength all season, I'd say, uh, pretty much since the CCL loss. So I, I, you know, I, I think there is a lot of upside if all three designated players get on the field, if they're all firing on all cylinders. Um, but ultimately, is that going to happen? Uh, seems like a bit of a stretch right now because who knows what's going to happen with Gustavo Bo. Um, but Sean, uh, getting back to the question here, do you think this we've been overly critical of this team? I don't think we've been overly critical of this team. I think you have to recognize there have been injuries and and we have, but I think the depth of this team just hasn't been good enough. Um, and I think going into the season, the Rebels knew their their depth was going to be tested and didn't address it well enough with you know Josie and Omar. Um, those guys were brought in for the situations when there were injuries. Gustavo Bo is what is he thirty two now or thirty one, thirty two? You know you, you have to expect that he's not going to play every game. Um, you know, you know, Andrew Farrell, I think is, is 29 or 30. You have to expect that you know, he's not going to play every game. I think Bruce actually overused him at the start of the season, which is you know part of the reason that he missed that, that second Pumas game. Um, I think you can put that on Bruce for playing him midweek when it wasn't necessary to. Um, so, you know, yes, we, you know, this, the, the potential of this team you have to recognize is, is a lot higher than what we've seen because there have been injuries, but at the same time, um, you know, injuries are, to a certain extent, predictable when you have an older lineup, um, and the Revs do in a lot of ways. And you know, so I, I don't know. I think 
yes, this team could be a lot better when everyone's healthy, but you, there's no promises that everyone is going to be healthy. Gustavo Bo has been out, you know, a lot with muscle injuries. He has been in the past too. You know, Dylan Barrero now has had multiple stints out injured for the revolution. Is he going to be an injury prone guy, even though he's younger? Um, Carlos heel in the past has always had some, some injury issues. Um, they've been lucky for the most part. He hasn't this season, but you know, knock on wood, that doesn't happen either. Um, every team deals with injuries and the revolution dealt with injuries poorly this season. They dealt with injuries well last year. They had a lot less injuries, but when they did and when they rotated, they did very well. And this season they didn't. So it's, it's fair to criticize the team for that. And it's fair to criticize kind of Bruce for not bringing in the right depth in this off season. If Omar and Josie, um, had lived up to their salaries and to their billing, uh, I think the revolution would have done a lot better at the start of the season. Um, and again, when you have a busy schedule, when it's compacted because of the winter world cup, when you have these CONCACAF champions league game, your depth is going to be tested and the depth, um, kind of up until, <laughs> up until today, uh, largely failed. Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything you said there. I do think you can make the argument that, you know, we haven't had all three designated players on the field. That's been bad luck. Um, you know, Matt Turner had his injury at the beginning of the season. That was bad luck. Kessler has been hurt. Um, I, I do think that they've had a lot of key injuries. The problem is that if you go back and you look at the moves they made this off season, you know, they're really supposed to build on the, the Supporter Shield champions, and they really didn't. Um, you know, I think Sebastian Legit was a fine move. It was okay. It didn't work out, I think, how they wanted it to. Um, we can get into that later. But Josie, ultimately, I think, is looking like a failure. Omar Gonzalez, I think we can write off as a failure. Um, besides that, what was their biggest move? They signed Ryan Spaulding. That's a fine move. That's a depth move, though. Um, they drafted Jacob Jackson. That's a depth move. Um, I'm trying to remember. I'm, I'm probably missing a few moves here, but... They signed Noel Buck to a first team contract signed Esmir. I guess that was the middle of the season. The moves they made mid season, I think have been really, really well. And you have to give those signings a little bit of time to kind of work their way in. But you know, I, I think Josie, if you look at the contract he was given, that wasn't a backups contract. I'm, I, it looks like he was supposed to come in and replace Adam Buxa. And so it's, it's, you know, if, if Josie came in and worked out, you, you know, you probably don't need to go out and get Vrioni and, and wait a little bit for him to get acclimated with the team and, and hope he makes an impact down the stretch. So, um, I, I do think injuries kind of hurt this team and kind of they've had some bad injury luck this, this season. But I, I also think you have to look at the moves that they made. And not only did this team not get better, but I, I think you make the argument that the moves they made made them a little bit worse. Yeah, it's, again, it's it's difficult because they have had injuries and there was some bad luck involved, but there's also some predictability involved in that every team is going to deal with injuries over the course of the season. And the Revs, I think, got relatively lucky last year with their squad staying healthy. And, you know, also Bruce was able to rotate a bit when schedule was was tough and the Revs continued to win in those games that rotated. And that just hasn't been. Uh, been the case this year. And I think if they were able to rotate more and get, and get points, uh, like I said earlier, that you know guys like Andrew Farrell might not have missed that game where, where it was important and they might have done better. So, um, you know, just the, the depth has failed the Revs for the most part this year with the, again, with the very notable exception of what we just saw last night. Yep. Nope. Agreed. Agreed 100%. And I do think you can give Bruce a lot of credit for bringing in Barrero and Petrovic. And there have been a lot of positive moves, but uh, ultimately, I think if you, again, if you go back to the beginning of the season and where you expect this team to be, it wouldn't be, you know, fighting for a playoff spot in August. So it's, it's been two seasons in a row where the winter transfer window has been a, a largely a failure. Yes. Yeah. We, we, we're going to have a, some more conversation. I think we're going to be looking back at this past offseason window as 
probably the worst winter in team history. Uh, that's my hot take, but we'll, we'll get to that on a future podcast. Uh, Eric says, how close are you to hitting the panic button? Uh, so, and, and for those of you from last week, you remember I raised it 25 basis points to 8.75 to combat uh, panic inflation. I'm going to drop this down about 100 basis points back down to 7.75. This was a big win. So the panic button uh, getting a little bit further away in my eyes. I think that this was a very, very huge win uh, and a very, very strong, you know, it was a basically a six point game with one team that you're trying to pass in the Eastern Conference standings. Uh, so I, I, I give, I'm very excited uh, and I'm not lo- even looking at the panic button right now. Uh, Eric also says, didn't like seeing Omar Gonzalez. I was fine with this move. The game was kind of out of hand at that point. Um, not like he can do a ton of damage at that stage. Uh, and he also says, uh, in the 90th minute, the graphic said we had no subs left, probably because we used all our windows, but I was still, I still spent the next six minutes trying to figure out, uh, who we subbed in besides Arnor, Ima, and Omar Gonzalez, uh, which is true, right? It, it's, uh, the rule is that you can, uh, sub, I think it's only three, yeah, three, three substitution windows. windows, excluding halftime, correct? That's correct, yeah. And Bruce Arena does not like sending in two subs at a time usually. So um, I, I don't know if he could have made any other subs here. I guess some people were – we'll probably talk about Vrioni soon. I, I think if Vrioni has a knock, you don't even bother putting him in this game. Um, but outside of that, I'm not sure who else you would sub in. Well, the, the only other sub I would have made is maybe bringing off Carles Hill when the game was in hand and saving him from getting injured because he did he was, you know, it was pretty physical, the defending against him. So that that's the only other sub I would have made. And on the Omar point, uh, you know, I agree. It was, you know, <laughs> knock on wood with, you know, seven minutes left or whatever, uh, including the stoppage time. You know, it, it's it's hard to do enough damage to lose the revs of the game. But I would have rather seen Ben Ravino get him a couple more minutes out there and with the first team. And um, I thought I thought the one game, I think it was just one game where he came on late with the revs having a lead. I thought he looked fine. So I don't, I don't know why you wouldn't go with Ravino in that situation. And I think in the future when uh, McCone's been here longer, you're probably going to go with him. Um, the only thing I'll say on the, the panic button comment is. You know, I, I agree. I'd, I'd bring it down after this game, but I I would also say that seeing you know not not knowing any details about Rioni's injury, the fact that you know he's just getting into fitness and is now apparently hurt, uh, that that tends to make my my panic button increase along with Bowen Barrero's injuries having lasted longer than we've expected. These are good points. I'm I'm bumming it back up to eight point two five. Fifty point basis drop this week uh, on the panic button scale. Um. Amax says, I didn't realize we could get three points all from one game. We should try to do that more often. Uh, seriously, though, awesome uh, team effort. Goals from unexpected places. Somehow, Omar couldn't even ruin it. Uh, would have liked to have seen Vrioni get a run. Any reason we know he didn't get minutes. And we'll kind of expand on our comments from a second ago. Some people noted he had a, I believe it was wrap on his knee. Uh, and he was talking to some trainers before the game. Bruce was asked about it afterwards why Bo Barrero and Vrioni did not play. And he said, well, they didn't play because they're injured. And that was all he said. So not totally sure what's going on there. A little bit concerning, but he was available. So I'm going to be optimistic and assume that if this was a 0-0 game, we'd see Vrioni deployed similar to how we saw him against um, TFC. And they really just didn't see the need to put him into a game that was, they were already up 2 nothing or 3 nothing. Uh, Sean, um, anything to add or do you agree or disagree with that assessment? No, I mean, I, I it's hard. It's hard to add anything when there's no transparency um, as to what the severity of the injury is or what it was. But it, it does. 
it seems likely because he traveled with the team and was in the game day squad. They got injured in warmups. Um, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to speculate that if they, the scoreline was different, he would have come on because it, you know from what we've heard from people that were there, or from you know one one tweet I think it was Mike Mike D that tweeted about it that it seems like he you know stopped stopped warmups early, so he, he probably picked up some sort of knock and, and warmups. Um, and I think you just have to hope it's it's nothing serious. But it seems like a lot with the revs that they'll tell you it's nothing serious, and then it turns out to be to be something, and they haven't told us anything about this one. So uh, just speculation. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what is very serious though, Sean. The savings you can get at GolassoKits.com when you use promo code REVSRECAP at checkout. Our sponsor, Galasso Kits, their mission is to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home with a catalog of jerseys, jackets, scarves, and more from clubs and national teams from over 80 countries in the world. The European calendar has kicked off, so make sure you go get some merch from your favorite team abroad. And if you're not sure what you want, you can check out their mystery kit packages where you enter in your size and what style of jersey you like, and Galasso will surprise you with the kit of your dreams. So go to GolassoKits.com for their full selection, and make sure you check them out at Galasso Kits on Twitter and Galasso Kits on Instagram for updates on their new inventory. And when you find something you like, use promo code REVSRECAP for 15% off your order. That is promo code REVSRECAP at GalassoKits.com for 15% off your order. Links and codes are in the show notes. Sean, John Pilkington says that, is the constant praise for Renex hard work a bit much or am I missing something? Is he having more of an effect on play than I am realizing? Uh, Sean, what do you think about Justin Renex hard work? Uh, I don't know if I mean I guess he's talking about the praise maybe from from Brad and Charlie because um, I don't know that there's been that much praise at least not on at least not on our podcast um, but yeah I mean I thought he had a pretty good game for the Revs last night you know 14 and 14 passing 100 percent passing accuracy made some good runs um, the, the problem is like I said earlier the, the finishing uh, I think he had two chances in this game that he should have done better with and could have potentially scored two goals. Um, the second one I think was, was the play right before Captain's goal. So they you know, revs ended up scoring anyways. Um, and the first was that cross you pointed out that, you know, he just came up short on that, um, Dewan Jones put in. So, uh, you know, I think Renix is who he is at this point. You know, he's the, he should be maybe the, the fourth guy in the depth chart for striker when everyone's healthy. Uh, right now he's going to be third when everyone's healthy because, because Josie's gone. Um, but, you know, he's a supplemental guy that's not costing the Revs anything, and he should not be starting as much as he's had to start the past few games. Um, again, with that said, I think he's played you know, pretty well, and he played pretty well last night. Um, but at the end of the day, you need your striker scoring goals, and I don't have much confidence in Justin Rennick putting the ball in the back of the net uh, very often. I think he's a striker that you know, could be somewhat useful to the revolution in a situation where they're, they're playing two strikers and he's kind of the, the secondary guy that is there to kind of clean up the scraps and rebounds. Um, but leading a line as a, as you know, kind of the number nine on a one striker system, uh, I don't have much confidence in him. And it, it is great that he hustles and runs a lot. And I think it, it worked out last night uh, and helped with the revs. But yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get over. I wouldn't, I wouldn't praise him too much because at the end of the day, you need your strikers scoring goals and, uh, we haven't seen much of that in him, and he has had some chances. Yeah, one shot on target, or sorry, not even a shot on target, one shot off target today for Justin Rennix. Uh, 0. 0.08 expected goals, um, four for eight on ground duels, uh, 27 touches. Um, not a ton of great stats as a striker, if you look at it, but I do have some things I want to just talk about in terms of where his hustle kind of came into play, and I want to highlight two two plays here that I think really is why you praise Justin Rennix. The 41st minute of this game, Andrew Farrell kicks a long ball over the top. Rennix 
runs to the ball. He, he has a defender. He fights off the defender, wins the ball in the box. The goalkeeper comes out of net. He passes this ball to Carlos Hill. And Carlos Hill basically, as he's trying to control it, is kind of touched by an Orlando City player. And he falls down, goes down very easy in the box. It wasn't penalty kick. But if Hill is able to one-time that and get this on frame and score, we're talking about how amazing Justin Rennix is and, and the, you know, we're giving him all the Tommy points in the world for going, winning this ball in the box, creating something out of nothing. Some people thought he could have drawn a foul. If he went down easier, it looks like the defender kind of pulls him down a little bit and he stumbles. Um, but that's just kind of a hustle play that Josie Altador is not making. Um, I'll give you another play in the 72nd minute. This is two minutes before he came off. So this is kind of his, you know, him emptying the tank here in terms of, what energy he had left in, in 88 degree heat in Orlando, but Justin Renex gets kind of a simple ball in his own half. He's about two thirds of the field away from goal. No one is with him. Just starts taking the ball, runs through midfield, gets around a slide tackle, takes on a defender one-on-one cuts to the middle. He is fouled from behind. He does not get the call, but he is fouled from behind. That should have set up a free kick 20 to 22 yards away from goal. Um, he ran two length, two thirds of the length of the field, um, and, and really should have created a dangerous free kick by himself. So Justin Rennick did have some moments here. This game in particular, specifically, he doesn't really have a ton of support around him. Um, I do think that maybe as a second striker, like you said, Sean, he could work out. I, I do. We have a comment too about our conversation from last week with Justin Rennick about maybe seeing if he can cross the ball and, and maybe he's a bit of a winger. Um, maybe that'll work out. I just don't think he has the size or the speed to really be a an elite MLS striker. Because, um, you know, in MLS, the average striker gets better every single year. Uh, more and more dollars are committed to the forward position. The designated players, you know, the, the best use of a designated player is on a goal scorer. And I think for Justin Rennix, you know, I, I do think he does a lot of little things really well. I just don't think he's an imposing striker that's ever going to really crack in and be you know, a 10 goal scorer for in MLS, just because he, he really is just unable to find space and get shots. And that's really the thing that's going to hold him back. Uh, he's just a little bit too slow or a little bit too small. He, he is making better runs. Um, if you watch the goal with that Matt Polster scored, he kind of plays decoy a little bit. He did that really well. Um, I just think in terms of overall, you know, the overall package, I'm not sure he's anything more than a depth piece. Uh, but again, if you if you don't have the size or the stature or the the ability to bag home goals, um, you better hustle. And uh, he is Justin Hustle. I'll, I'll give him that. Yeah, and, and I don't I don't see him as a winger either. I don't think he has the skill set for that either um, at this level. But I will say that you know everything you said, I completely agree with. He had some big moments in this game. He had you know better hold up play in this game. I think we don't think we really saw that much from him in the past, but he actually had some, you know, decent hold up play in this one. Um, and just, I just want to make the point that this was a much better performance from him than a week ago. Um, when he played 55 minutes and touched the ball 10 times, um, you know, this game, he played, I don't know, 16, 17 more minutes and had 27 touches. And I thought he was a lot more involved and, um, when you talk about hustle too, he did have some good defensive plays. You know, there was a lot of times when he, you know, he was behind the ball in the def- defense and, and got really back and, and worked very hard. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think he de- deserves praise for this game while at the same time, you know, recognizing the limitations of his game. Yeah. For, for the position he was put in, he came through. I, I think that's a really good way to put it. Um, 
just getting to this quick question here. Teal Forever, uh, his comment, continuing on the conversation from Renix last week. I feel like after seeing today, his future may be in a Teal Bunbury type role. Good hold up play. Disrupted their play out of the back on the press. Decent speed, uh, but maybe some ability to play the wing in the future. I, I still think you kind of try it out, but yeah, I, I mean, again, I'm, I'm basing that off of nothing. You might, you know, he might not be able to cross the ball to save his life, but uh, I'll also say this, Sean. Um, here's my bold take of the week. If Justin Renix doesn't, if the Revs move on, and if he doesn't secure an MLS contract, I could really see Justin Renix going to the USL Championship and playing against, you know, play, when facing weaker defenses. If he's on a team that generates an average amount of chances, I could absolutely see him being a really good player at that level. I could see, I could see us seeing him, you know, highlights of him every, you know, now and then scoring 10, 12 goals at a lower level. Uh, he, he certainly seems to have. A lot of intangibles, but I just don't know if the ability is there on a major league soccer level. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And just because Teal Bunbury was mentioned, we should note that Teal Bunbury has scored in four straight games for Nashville. Classic Teal Bunbury hot streak. Um, nice to see him back on the field. I feel like he was hurt for most of the first half of the season, so uh, good to see him uh, coming around. We should have had an incentive in that trade. Uh, missed opportunity <laughs> there. Uh, Teal Forever also says comment. Felt like this was one of the games they had a lot of last year. Uh, but we're missing this year. Not your best 11, but worked hard, worked together, and found a way to win. That's a pretty good way to put it. I don't, I don't have anything to add on to that, uh, but certainly feels like something that happened a lot more in 2021 than 2022. Yeah, that is for sure. <laughs> very, very good comment. Uh, Ryan Duplicia says, even with some errors, uh, they turned it around and had a great game. I thought Tommy McNamara was on fire. I agree with that also. Any comment on that? And I mean, no, no disagreement here. It was one of his best games as a as a Rose player, and really, really kind of shut up the critics about him, especially playing in a more attacking role. At least for one week, I'll say that. And I also do want to point out too. I think it's important to note. I'm not saying this. Was, I don't think you or I, Sean, feel this was a flawless game. There were a lot of turnovers. There were some wires crossed. Um, there were a couple of simple one-two passes that went out for throw-ins, um, but they really scrapped. And even with kind of the shortcomings in this lineup uh, and the miscues they didn't let it bother them they didn't frust- let it frustrate them um, they still stayed focused and they still made the most of their opportunities so um, not a flawless game but you know just a really really gritty performance overall so I, I just wanted to point that out too that they were able to overcome a lot there uh, David Sibillion with the curse of the transfer left back that the Revs have how confident are you that the Revs can fill the left back hole adequately if Dewan Jones leaves I'm being generous it's around a three I assume that's out of a 10 and not out of a five uh, Sean how uh, confident are you that the Revs can replace Dewan Jones if he's going to leave uh, and I think this is because there are some Twitter rumors uh, that I believe maybe a team in Belgium is, is interested in Dewan Jones they kind of flare up from time to time and it seems like it's flared up again uh, what are your thoughts here, Sean? Uh, not very confident. And this is part of the reason why anytime somebody says, let's move Juwan Jones to the wing, I, I, I balk at the idea because he's one of the best, if not the best, left backs in the league um, and has developed into a phenomenal player. And you know, I think Ryan Spaulding is is a good depth piece, but I think if you had to throw him into the starting lineup tomorrow, he wouldn't be ready for the role. So um, the Revs have had an absolutely disastrous luck as far as their ability to kind of bring in somebody to play left back outside of the draft. Um, so yeah, if Dewan Jones leaves left back is a hard spot to fill and the revs have been particularly bad at filling it. So yeah, I, th- I, I think a three might be about where my confidence level is as far as replacing Dewan Jones, which isn't to say, I don't think, you know, Ryan Spaulding could do a, an adequate job there, but it would be a, a significant drop off from what the revs have now. And I think they need to find somebody, um, at least for the short term to, you know, to fill in for Dewan Jones that can do more of what Dewan Jones can do. 
yeah, and Spalding only 210 minutes this year, so we don't really have a good sample of what he could be. I'd like to see at least 500 minutes of assessment to see uh, what, what could happen there. Um, I know the left back they brought in for Revs 2, um, uh, I believe it's Jose Italo, uh, Brazilian left back. I, I don't think he is on pace right now to be MLS ready uh, for next season as well. So I'd probably put this around to two or three. I don't think there's an in-house replacement. They'd have to kind of probably go, you know, throughout uh, MLS and and find someone to take over that role. But I also wonder too, with the world cup coming up, I'm pretty confident. It seems like Dewan Jones is on the outside looking in. It doesn't seem like Greg Berhalter is interested too much in Dewan Jones, which is unfortunate, but I feel like with the World Cup going to be coming and going, I, I wonder if that eases the pressure to move Dewan Jones. I'm sure Matt Turner felt the pressure to move for the World Cup coming up. Um, Tejan Buchanan, I feel like, wanted to test himself a little bit as Canada preps for the World Cup. It's not like there's a World Cup in 2023 that Dewan Jones wants to move to a team and train at a higher level to, to kind of get in the national team picture a little bit more. Um, so I wonder if that kind of eases the pressure uh, for for Dewan Jones and the Revs to maybe not necessarily run out the door as soon as possible. Well, I mean there there is a, a rumor about um, a team in Belgium that could be interested in him now, um, and that that transfer window hasn't closed yet. So I, I think I, I somewhat agree with that. If he doesn't go in the next couple of weeks, but you know there was an I, I, for that very reason, I think there is an opportunity where if Dewan Jones did go over to Europe and did step into a starting lineup right away, which is you know, not guaranteed by any stretch and pretty difficult when he, since he's you know kind of missed their preseason um, that that would greatly help his case of actually making the World Cup. So I th- I'm sure that's in the back of his mind when they're considering these moves. But I, I do agree that there might be a little bit less pressure, um, you know, should nothing happen this window. Uh, David Spillian also says some of these guys should be extra motivated to play well as they will want a contract with the Revs or another team for next season. I think guys like Cap are fighting for a role not only this year, but next. Thoughts on that? I think Cap Toom... I feel like the I think we all kind of know if he, there's an option uh, if he doesn't have a guaranteed contract I, I assume they're going to move on with his cap number uh, but I do think there are guys like Maciel uh, Justin Renix that every appearance they make is really important um, and I, I think their spots are definitely up for grabs and assuming these guys don't come into a playoff game they have what 10 games left I think 10 12 games so yeah absolutely uh, I, I think specifically for Renix and Maciel uh, every appearance is an important one yeah, I agree with all that, and I, I, I would be surprised if Captain was back next year, but um, <laughs> Bruce has done things that have surprised me before, so uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. But a lot of these guys, yeah, there are, you know, Renex, like you mentioned, Maciel, I think they are still playing for, for the, either roster spots or playing time next year. So um, it is, you know, there is a lot of motivation for those guys to perform when they get the opportunity. Uh, RevsFan94, what is the thing we did where we uh, we, we got a point on the board uh, where the ball went in the thing we shoot around? Uh, that's called a goal. It's called a goal, and we should do it more often. Uh, also, Josh and I says, uh, where have these types of performances been in 2022? Imagine where we would be if we had more performances like tonight's. Agreed with that. Uh, Resfan94, by the way, did have a question. What does the third designated player slot look like for next year? Bo seems like a luxury player, and I wonder if that money could be used elsewhere. I believe Gustavo Bo is under contract for next year. He is. Yeah, one more year. All three designated players are under contract for next season. So Bo Heal and Vrioni are your designated players. Yeah, Bo signed a two-year contract extension through 2023. Carlos Heal is signed through 2024. Vrioni is signed through 2025. So, uh, yeah, those are the three designated players. Unless there's a loan or a transfer arranged, and I can't imagine that's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, or, or there could be a fourth designated player slot added by MLS. Never never put that past them. Um, but, yeah, Gustavo Bo, I... I I sort of agree with the comment that, you know, 
with all the injuries he's had and the fact that, you know, you can't rely on him to be an everyday player anymore at this point in his career, you know, he's going to be 33 entering next season. Um, I had these reservations when he signed the contract extension with the revs. Um, so I don't think the revs move on from him in the off season, but if there is an opportunity to, you know, to loan him or some team wants him, I don't think it would be the worst idea to consider doing that and, you know, maybe bringing somebody else in uh, because again, he's going to be 33 years old. He's had these injury issues. He's, yeah, I think I, I, there's no reason not to expect that to continue next year. Um, that he's not going to be available for every game. Um, but if I'm a, a betting man, I think the revolution are stuck, stuck with these three forwards. And I also, the other thing I'll say too, is that I, we haven't really gotten into the summer transfer moves yet. I do think the summer transfer moves seem to imply that, you know, Bruce is looking to play more with wingers and probably not play with two strikers. Um, and maybe that means Gustavo Bo is going to play on the wing more. Maybe that means there's going to be rotation. Um, but if that is the long-term plan, it makes less sense to have two DP strikers if you're only going to play with one. Um, and that money could perhaps be better used on a central midfielder or a winger. Agreed 100%. We'll get to the summer transfer windows uh, moves in a second. I know we're kind of coming up on an hour here, so we're going to try to run through the rest of these questions quick. Uh, what uh, Eric says, do we think Captoom ever does that again? I assume scoring and not uh, turning the ball over or forgetting to track a runner into the box. Uh, I, he might do it again. I don't think he's ever going to score for the Revs again. He scored one goal last year. I think Chris Creighton actually replied to this and said, uh, if he stays another year, he'll probably do it again. He's good for one uh, solid goal a year, uh, and I, I'd probably agree with that. Uh, I don't think uh, I think that's the last Captoom uh, Revolution goal. Uh, Sean, do you think Captoom ever does that again? Uh, probably not. Nothing. Probably <laughs> nothing not. To add to that. Your comments from me. <laughs> Uh, what do we think was the motivation change that sparked causing us to have such a great game? Could this be the best performance of the season? I would say maybe the Pumas first leg game was the best performance of the season so far, just because that was kind of a really unexpected to, to win by that margin uh, in the first leg. Um, well, I think a lot of people have erased that from their minds. Outside of that, off the top of my head, I don't, I can't think of any other game that was better than this one, uh, especially with the, the lineup presented. So I'm going to give this as the best performance of the season, but I also wouldn't be shocked if someone corrects me on that. Um, Sean, what are your thoughts on that? And what do you think was the change that sparked them into having a great game? Yeah, I, I agree. Best best MLS performance of the season, I think, is is fair to say. Uh, what what sparked them into having a great game? I, I, I honestly don't know. Um, I was not expecting that performance at all. Um, and like we mentioned earlier, I think the first 10, 12 minutes was kind of what I was expecting. And then something sparked them into, into figuring it out. Um, but maybe it is what was mentioned earlier, you know, motivation of some of these guys that haven't been playing that much, knowing this is kind of their last chance to impress before guys get healthy. And, you know, also just knowing what the guys that are out, like there's not, there's not legit. You can rely on to create chances. There's not, you know, Bo Veroni Barrero that is going to put the ball in the back and that or create chances. Um, just a collective knowledge that these guys had to step up and, you know, with that, the freedom that Matt Polster had to play more, a bit more attacking, but uh, to be honest, I can't explain it. Let's get to the transfer window. We could spend an hour talking about the transfer window. We're going to try to do this in 10, 15 minutes. Uh, but James Downing, I don't have any thoughts on the match. What are your thoughts on the transfer window? Anime Stoner says, uh, what are your thoughts uh, on the mo- on the players brought in and Legette leaving? Uh, score the transfer window. I don't know if we want to grade each of these individual or just give a overall grade. And I also know, too, that the Bent Musket will be doing an, an article uh, where we all give our grades on the summer transfer window. So you'll find out there. Uh, but just a quick recap of the moves made. Sebastian Legette was traded to FC Dallas for $600,000 in general allocation money. That's split over this season and next season. So the book on him is closed at 19 appearances, 18 starts, two goals, five assists, and 89% pass accuracy. Um, only had nine key passes. That was a, kind of a surprising stat 
Uh, but also I think it kind of shows that he wasn't making the impact that I think the Revs wanted him to make. Uh, so Sean, what are your thoughts about this trade to FC Dallas? And do you think in hindsight, the move for Legit in the offseason was a wrong one? Yeah, I, I was shocked by that move. That was definitely the most shocking move of this summer window. I thought Sebastian Legette had been, you know, decent for the revolution. Um, I honestly think, and you know, Bruce has mentioned it was, you know, kind of a mutual thing that it, he kind of did this move for Sebastian Legette. He thought it made the team better, but also that it, you know, this was something Legette wanted. Um, I, I think Legette, we heard him when he came here say he was going to play a central attacking role in the midfield and. You know, when the Revolution were playing a diamond, that might have been possible as kind of a you know right or left central attacking midfielder or right or left central midfielder that's more focused on attack, while McNamara is on the other side more focused on defense. Um, and that hasn't been how the season played out. Um, you, you know, you mentioned the designated players and how there's been what three games where they've all been on the field at the same time, or where the Revs have had three designated players at the same time. Um, and you know, other than the first couple games of the season, you know, the Revolution didn't have their best strikers on the field. Um, and when they did, I think they, you know, I think they did pretty well and Legette scored a goal. But then after that, Legette was asked to play a lot on the wing. Um, and he mentioned when he was coming here that he wanted to have one spot and make it his own. And that was not the case. And, you know, he was the, the most capped player for the U.S. national team the year before he came to the Revs. And I, I thought I had a legit shot at going to the World Cup. His chance at going to the World Cup is kind of completely evaporated since he's been on the revolution. Um, so I think this is more about a move about him going to FC Dallas, uh, potentially playing a role that's more suited for him and you know making one last gasp hope of, of getting to the World Cup squad. Um, and less about the fact that you know he hadn't necessarily done what the revolution wanted from him. But I, I, I'm shocked by this move. You know, you mentioned the formation that the revolution played last night. They might have fit in that better. Um, I, I don't know what to make of it. The revs, it's, it's also hard to say because, you know, the revs paid 500,000 in, in allocation money for them, plus incentives that could have gotten up to 1.3 million. We were told those incentives were hard to reach, but, uh, we don't know exactly what the revolution, um, ended up paying for them. They got 600,000 back. They might've profited a little bit, you know, ignoring the amount of TAM that they would have had to spend on this contract. Um, yeah, I, this move shocks me. I think Sebastian Legette leaving the revs made the revolution worse, uh, at least for the short term. So, um, I mean, we'll, we'll see how the new guys come in, but I, I don't know. I don't know how to grade this one because it may be at best. The Rebels kind of broke even on the jet and I think made their team worse by getting rid of them. Yeah. I, I think the move that brought him in, you know, we talked a lot about it where Tejan was more of a winger than a fit for the diamond and Leget is more of a fit of the diamond than a winger. And, you know, the whole reason he switched the diamond is so you can get Bo and Books on the field at the same time. And Bowen Books are really didn't see the field together. Uh, and so then you kind of had a role that was more suited for a Tejon Buchanan type winger than Sebastian Legette. So um, kind of interesting how it kind of shifted. And I, I certainly don't blame the Revs for making the move they did. I still think that for what he was given, he played fine. Um, he certainly, if you, you go through his assists, there were a handful of plays that he set up a really nice goal. Um, and, and, you know, as I say, five assists in 18 starts or 19 appearances is nothing to scoff at for a guy that really didn't have a set position. So, um, I, I think he played well while he was here, as you said, Sean, he just didn't have his preferred role and he was moving around. And I also too, in hindsight, we talk about the Tommy McNamara, uh, extension a, a few weeks ago, Tommy McNamara is kind of the Swiss army knife of, Plays up, plays on the wing, not great, but can play in the central midfield. He kind of can play kind of all over. Sebastian Legette was kind of doing that as well. And so I guess in hindsight, maybe I kind of see this that as the precursor of having your kind of utility guy um, making Legette a little bit more expendable. Um, not to say that Tommy McNamara is as good as Sebastian Legette, but 
you know, as I say, if you need a guy in the central midfield or a wing, you know, I think McNamara can kind of do kind of the same things Legette does, just not as well. Um, I think in terms of the transfer fee they paid and the transfer fee they got, it's about a wash. As you kind of said, they might have profited. They might have lost a little money. Um, overall, I think in hindsight, the Sebastian Legette era trade, trade for him, trade away, C+. Plus. Um, and I also think, too, that Bruce Arena, with this move and all the moves, is kind of keeping an eye on the future and saw Sebastian Legette's 900000 or $1 million salary or whatever it is on the books for 2023 and said, it'll be a lot easier to shop next offseason with this off the books. So I, I think he's cashing out, and I don't blame him for doing it, but I certainly think it makes him a weaker team for the season. I think I would have liked the move more if they had moved on from him and used some of that money they were spending on a salary to bring in, you know, a central midfielder or a defensive midfielder that fit next to Polster. Um, and they didn't do that in this window. They brought in a winger, which I think was you know, a good move depending on his health. Um, but I, I, I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting to see how the Revolution lineup looks when everybody's healthy. I, I suspect that they're going to play, you know, four two three one or four five one, whatever you want to call it. Um, with two wingers, and that was part of the reason why they moved on from Legette, as Legette, you know, didn't want to be a winger. Um, and you, know, you can do better on the wings than him. Even you know, he's a good, he's a good central attacking midfielder, but I think you can do better on the wings than Legette. Um, so I think that was part of the reason. But I, I, I was just expecting there to be kind of a bigger splash um, to replace the the salary that they opened up, both by moving on from Legette and from moving on from Josie Altidore. Well, let's let's get to kind of I'll say the biggest move. Um, uh, I, I guess the highest expectation move. Ismail Trajori Sharati. I'm going to mispronounce that name uh, for the rest of the season. But traded from LAFC to the Revs for four hundred thousand dollars in GAM. All of that GAM is uh, 2023 GAM. Uh, LAFC will also receive an additional two hundred thousand dollars in general allocation money if he is re-signed for the 2024 season. So I think we can kind of tell right now he's signed through the 2023 season. Um, kind of reading the, the, the lines there, uh, 90 MLS appearances with NYCFC and LAFC, mostly with New York city, uh, 49 starts, 28 goals, nine assists in five seasons. Again, four of those seasons with New York city, he's been injured most of this season. He's coming in, still recovering from an injury. I believe it's a hamstring injury. I would have to double check that it's some sort of leg injury. Uh, and LAFC is LAFC fans seem fine moving on from him and getting the fee they paid to get him from Charlotte. Uh, he was an expansion draft pick uh, by Charlotte, sent to LAFC before the season for $400,000 in GAM. And now LAFC is recouping that after he barely played for them. Sean, uh, what are your thoughts on this move? Yeah, I, I kind of go back and forth on this one. I think if he's healthy, he could be a good addition to the revolution. Um, but again, he's played six games this year for LA all off the bench scored one of the goals of the year candidates for the LA in, in those limited minutes. Uh, but the health is the big issue. We, we talked earlier about the kind of the injury issues that Barrero's had, that Gustavo Bowes had. Um, and if you're just adding another injury prone guy to the list, you know, that's not ideal. One, one thing you got to say about Legette is he was available. He was, you know, for the most part, very healthy for the revolution. Um, and was able to play a lot of minutes and, you know, Ismail Tajori Shardy has not had the opportunity to do that this season. Um, you know, even going back in his career, the most minutes he's ever played in a, in a season was his first year in, in New York, where he played you know, 1,500 minutes. So he hasn't been an everyday starter. Um, he's now the fourth highest paid guy on the Revolution with Altidore gone. Um, so he's certainly paid like a starter. I think it's 650000 guaranteed comp this year. Um, so, you know, 
it's it's a wait and see for me if he's healthy and can perform like he performed for you know New York in the past. I mean, he had an 11 goal season um, in that year where he only played 1500 minutes. So he's he's definitely a very capable attacking talent. Um, and I think in your ideal world, you have you know Bo, uh, not not necessarily Bo. Sorry, you have you know Ismail Tajiri Shardy out there. You have Rioni up top, and you have Verro as your wingers, and you know Carles Hill um, in that midfield, and you have a lot of attacking creative talent. Um, but you know, I don't know how long he's going to be out and I don't know how long he's going to stay healthy when he does come back. So this is kind of a big question mark for me. And I will say, I think the fee, um, I think LAFC did extremely well getting 400,000 in allocation money from the revolution. Um, plus the, the fact that they get another 200,000 if they resign him in 2024, so they could actually profit, um, on this guy that they bought in the off season for $400,000 didn't really work out cause he's been injured and now absolutely needs to get off the books to make room for all of the ridiculous signings they made in the summer window. I, you know, I, I would have thought it'd be a cut rate deal for him. And instead they're actually potentially profiting, um, on this guy that they, you know, only played for six games and whose value should have gone down. So, uh, I think the revs got ripped off as far as the fee. Um, but you know, we've talked about before the revs should have a lot of allocation money from the trades. Um, you know, whether or not they, this is the wisest use of it. Uh, we can debate, uh, but it shouldn't really stop them from making other moves. Um, it's again, all about his health, but to me, the, the fee is a bit high considering, you know, LA might actually profit on it despite the fact that they bought a guy, played him six games. He's been mostly injured and we're desperate to offload salary. Uh, and the revs, you know, actually bought him for a premium. Yeah, I was a little surprised almost that they, I kind of thought this might be an LAFC salary dump when I first heard about it. And so I figured, I was like, oh, maybe a hundred or 200,000 gam. Um, you know, he certainly is a high potential player and, and, you know, if he's healthy and he comes in and he re- regains the form, he scored, I think, 11 goals a few seasons ago for uh, New York City. So he, he can be an impact player. Um, I'm, as I say, I, the, the price tag is just... I don't see how his value hasn't gone down this season with his injuries and, and not really getting on the field for LAFC. And we paid essentially the same fee plus incentives uh, to LAFC. So I, I'm guessing the Revs just had GAM to spend. Um, again, this move is all 2023 GAM. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, hopefully we have some more money in the bank for, for next season. But uh, let's get to another move here. Oh, uh, grade this trade here, Sean. Do you want to grade the trade? I'm going to give it a C. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll give it a B-, minus, but... Again, it depends on how much he gets on the field, I think. Uh, Christian McCoon from uh, Charlotte FC, $400,000 in GAM. About 143000 of that is for this season. 257 of that is for next season. Also, Inter-Miami has a clause of 15% of total future sales uh, if the Revs do go on to sell him. McCoon has 43 appearances, 33 starts uh, in MLS between Miami and Charlotte. He has two caps with the Venezuela national team and also was on load to Juventus uh, with the U19 teams there uh, before he went to Inter-Miami. So this is a guy with some pretty impressive stats on his resume. Uh, I guess the issue is he's hasn't really played for Charlotte recently. He's moved to the bench. He was one of their first acquisitions, actually, uh, but seems to have been fallen out of form after uh, Miguel Angel Ramirez was fired uh, a few months ago. It seems like the new coach did not fancy him uh, very much. He also kind of sort of played his way out of Miami. Uh, I don't think either fan base had a lot of positive things to say about him, but it seems like this is a guy that a lot of national pundits like and think he might have a high ceiling. So Sean, $400,000 in GAM for a center back who has the capability of playing defensive midfield. I do want to throw that in as well. I know we talk about no upgrades to the central midfield. He could be a defensive midfielder. Uh, What are your thoughts on Christian McCoon? 
Yeah. Well, first of all, I do want to say that Bruce Arena has never once, at least in anything I've seen or any of the press conferences mentioned that he can play a defensive midfielder. So I really don't think he's looking at him to play defensive midfielder. He's a left footed center back. Um, we, we, depending on who it is that's not vaccinated and if Canada doesn't change his rules, we might be seeing him soon in Canada when the refs have two games in a row up there. Um, but I think, you know, I think it's a decent signing um, from you know reading about I, I can't say I've seen him play that much, but from reading about what people say about him, it seems like he does have some areas of his game that he needs to work on. Um, but this is a guy that's younger than you know Ben Ravino and John Bell and has a lot more experience um, and has you know, had time over in Europe. And, you know, I, I think he's being looked at as defensive depth and I, as a you know, one, one less reason to ever see Omar Gonzalez hit the field. But I think that's an overpay again. I think 400,000 gam is a lot. I think... Um, they, I believe Charlotte acquired him for the number one spot in the allocation order. And I think that was it. And, you know, I think that usually is more like $300,000 in game when we've seen trades with that before. So this seems like, again, like an overpay for a guy that's fallen out of favor for his team. Um, but, you know, at the same time, the Revs need center back depth. I think he'll be center back depth for the Revs. I, you know, is he an upgrade over John Bell? Probably. Um so it's kind of a wait and see. And this one, this one's more of a, you know, BB minus move for me because it was a little bit less money. He's a younger guy that should be here for a while and has potential. Um, but it's not not a game changer move for the refs. He's definitely not you know, projected to be a starter for them, at least this season. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I give it a similar grade too. I'll, I'll give it a B minus. I think these moves to me, how this window strikes me is Bruce Arena is first off, he's keeping. Uh, an eye on the future. McCoon's salary is 200000 so that that's really backup money. Um, so if he comes in and is a backup, this isn't a terrible move, but it seems like Bruce Arena circled some names. He circled McCoon. He circled uh, Tajori Shirati as guys who are kind of out of favor with their team and said, I've seen this guy play. I like him. And, you know, so Bruce isn't going out and getting a depth center back. He's getting McCoon because he thinks there's something there. McCoon is 22, so there's still a lot of time for him to grow. Uh, you know, we talked about Andrew Farrell's age earlier. He's past 30. So, you know, is McCoon and Kessler potentially your center back pairing for next year? Possibly. Um, I don't know, especially with the, the, the performances from Kessler and Farrell recently. I don't know if McCoon is coming in and starting right away. Maybe he needs a, a full offseason to kind of train and get better. Um, and the other thing, too, that you kind of talked about, Sean, I'm glad you mentioned he's left-footed. Bruce loves to mention he's left-footed. I read about him, and I said, this sounds a lot like John Bell. And so I wonder if John Bell... Uh, if if he's not in the plans for the revolution next season. And I was originally, when I saw this move, my initial thought was, is John Bell on the trading block? Uh, and he wasn't, but it just seems like a type of player that if he's going to be above John Bell on the depth chart, that kind of makes John Bell, that be, does he have a spot on the team next year? I'm not totally sure. So um, I, 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 again, I think all these moves kind of had an eye for 2023, it's an okay move. I think it was probably a little bit of an overpay, but I think Bruce is going out and getting guys um, he's valuing. So agreed with everything he said there. I'm, I'm really curious about this one. Um, yeah, that's about just, it. Just one quick additional note, because I, I have heard several people mention defensive midfield. He hasn't played there in a while. Um, you know, transfer market's not perfect, but they are pretty good at identifying what position a player has played in. And, you know, he had two games in USL 1 in 2020 that he played at defensive midfield. Uh, before that, it was, you know, his brief stint with Juventus where he last played in defensive midfield. So he hasn't, it hasn't been a focus. I mean, he hasn't played there at all in MLS if, if transfer market has it right. And I tend to think they probably do because they, they're pretty accurate with this, with this type of thing. Um, so I, I, I just don't think, you know, there might be some flexibility for him to play there, but I, I don't think he's being brought in there to be played as a defensive midfielder. 
Polster was a right back though before he came over and played defensive midfield. So I I wouldn't put it past him if and again if we're looking at twenty twenty three, you know they need to strengthen their midfield. Maybe McCoon is a guy that you kind of move back and forth and and kind of try it out there in the preseason. I'm not saying he's going to improve the central midfield on day one. But I wouldn't be shocked if maybe Bruce says, you know, this team is misusing him like he did with Matt Polster and is trying him out in the midfield. Yeah, although Polster, Polster played a lot of defensive midfield in his go. career. So it wasn't this guy played it when he was you know, 18. I, I, I wouldn't be shocked. I'm going to say that we'll, we'll, we'll make a bet uh, one year from now. If McCoon doesn't make an appearance at defensive midfield or I'll buy you a beer. <laughs> Just one appearance. Just one appearance. <laughs> All right, fair enough. <laughs> One more move here. Uh, I'm going to mispronounce this name, even though he's been in the league forever. Clement Diop, am I pronouncing that correctly? That sounds right to me. That's what I would have said. <laughs> $125,000 in 2023 GAM. Um, goalkeeper from Inter-Miami. This is an interesting one because a lot of people say, why do we need a goalkeeper? Jacob Jackson has, I believe, a torn ACL. He needed to. He had knee surgery last week. It was successful, but he's going to miss nine months. So he's going to miss the beginning of next season. If you were paying close attention to our podcast last week, I might a wink, wink, nudge, nudge that a supplemental roster spot was coming open. That was the expected move to be made. Uh, I believe they can put him on season-ending injury reserve list. And I also said it's not like, you know, you could potentially promote someone from Revs 2 to fill that spot. Well, Jeff Carlisle of ESPN reporting that Inter-Miami is paying a portion of that salary. So Diop is going to be put on the supplemental roster. He has a contract for 2022 and a team option for 2023. So I'll I'll take this away here, Sean, on why this move makes sense, because a lot of people say, why are we paying for another goalkeeper? I think Earl Edwards Jr., probably gone at the end of this season. Brad Knighton, a lot of people are speculating he is retiring. I'm not so sure about that, but Edwards seems to be getting the nod over Knighton uh, as the number two now. And so I think Bruce wanted a number two. Jacob Jackson is going to be hurt for the beginning of next season, and I assume will be playing Revs 2 uh, as he is getting back into form. So you need a number two goalkeeper. This seems to fill that role, and I assume you're going to be able to keep him on the supplemental roster for this season and next season, so it frees up a senior roster spot. So I think the Revs, again, they have some gam to pay. They're essentially paying Miami gam to pay his salary, so really, I don't think this is $125,000 in GAM and kind of in that way. It's it's probably a little bit of a lesser number. Yeah, I, I think this is an okay move. It's a very MLS move. It's not going to rock the boat. It's not going to improve their MLS Cup chances. I give it a B plus just because there's really no expectations to this move. But in terms of roster management, it's a very creative way to kind of set yourself up for next season. Uh, and it checks off a box from... Uh, entering the free agency market uh, and going to go out and finding an experienced backup for a Petrovic. Yeah, I'm I'm very curious to know if this supplemental, you know, if if the um the part about them paying a portion of a salary so he stays in the supplemental roster is is accurate first of all, and if it is accurate, if it's for more than just the season, uh, because that kind of that that kind of impacts my judgment of this move. If he's the supplemental guy for you know, the next couple of years. And I, it makes a lot of sense to me. If he's a senior roster guy, I don't see the point of it because I, I don't think he's anything special. Um, and I think the revolution could have gotten a, a goalkeeper of his quality in MLS free agencies in the off season and not paid anything in allocation money. So it's tough for me to accurately judge this one um, without knowing whether or not he's going to take up a senior roster spot in the future, because if he is going to take up a senior roster spot in the future, I don't know why you don't just you know save your gam and sign an MLS free agency, an MLS goalkeeper and free agency in the offseason. Uh, he hasn't played many minutes this year. Um, he had a lot of minutes for Montreal a couple seasons ago, started 20 games. Um, his, his 
numbers are pretty average. Uh, this season, they're pretty terrible. He played three games for Miami, um, made four saves and allowed seven goals. So 36% save percentage, which is one of the worst I've seen. Obviously, a very small sample size. Um, but I don't know. It, it doesn't. It's certainly not a move that moves the needle. Uh, didn't cost the Revs a lot of money. I'd probably give this another another B. But if I if I, you told me that he was a supplemental guy for a couple for a couple of years, I, I I'm more solid than that B than I would be if you told me he was a senior roster guy next year. The roster rules do say when you're replacing someone on injury reserve, they have to be making the league reserve minimum or something like that. And so I wonder if Carlisle means he's on the supplemental roster spot for next year when the GAM kicks in. Um, I don't know. It's kind of weird, but I, I'm going to assume that it moves on to the supplemental roster because it makes a lot more sense than paying for a goalkeeper who's really only going to serve your team next season. Overall, Sean, uh, I, I'm not going to, I'm going to tease my grade cause it's going to be in the Bent Musket article, but you want to give a grade overall on this window or any overall thoughts? Yeah. Well, so I think we have to, are, are we including Rioni in this window? Because yes. technically it was this window. Yeah. So I, I think the, the moves of the past week were underwhelming, um, but I think the Vrioni move was a, a great one. Um, so although I, although I kind of treat that as a wash with Buxa going out, I don't know. It's, it's a tough one for me. I think maybe a, a C plus B minus window for the revolution. Um, again, a lot of it's dependent on Ismael Trejori Shardy's health as well as Vrioni's health now. So I, I, it's a, it's a tough one for me to grade. And I think that's a grade that could very well be revised um, in the off season, but for now, I'm going to say, you know, C plus B minus. I'm, I'm not really sure when you factor in who left and who came in that the revs are better than they were at the start of the window. Yeah. And I'll say that I feel a lot better about the 2023 team than I do the 2022 team, especially with these moves in the last couple of weeks. Yes. I, this is not what I would have done. And I don't feel any better about the revolution's chances this season. But I look at these moves and I say, okay, I see what Bruce is doing here. It, it's something I wouldn't have done and I don't particularly love, but I get it. Um, and so I, I, I kind of come in the same uh, range as you, Sean. So uh, we did get a question here. Why do we trade our best players so fast? I don't know. I feel like it should have been done gradually. We lost Turner, Tejan Buxa in a fairly similar time frame uh, and barely any plan to reload unless you consider Omar and Josie good plans. I also assume this is related to the Legette move uh, this week. Um yeah, I th- we kind of covered this already, too. I-, I think the Revs just were looking to sell, make a, a bit of a profit. I don't have any real issue with the timing of the sales. Uh, outside of Tejan Buchanan, Turner and, and, and Buxa, they held for the Champions League, which I think was important, and I'm glad they went for it. Um, but ultimately, I think they just failed last season to reload. Uh, anything to add before I move on to this one? Just a couple things. I don't think Omar was necessarily reloading. I think it was more of a, a depth piece. And I think the the reloading piece, we talked about Josie, obviously. Um, but, I mean, I think they did reload with Rioni. It took long, maybe it took longer in some cases than you wanted to. Barrero and Petrovic, who um, has been a phenomenal addition for the revolution. But um, would it be nice to make the transitions more gradually? Absolutely. At the same time, you have to do what's best for the players. And those offers aren't necessarily going to be on the table when you want them to be. Guys get hurt, drop out of form. Um, you know, Arsenal wanted Matt Turner when they wanted Matt Turner. Were they going to want Matt Turner six months later? Are you? from then uh, maybe not um and then that player is forever pissed off at you that you, they missed an opportunity to go for their favorite club Tejan Buchanan a young guy opportunity to go to Belgium uh, was that going to come again who knows so uh, you know it's it would be 
it'd be great. And I get, get the, the thought for the revolution to kind of space these out more, but there's no guarantee that you can do that. Um, and you have to do what's right by the player. I think there was, you know, some under, under Mike Burns, there was certainly kind of a reputation that the team wouldn't necessarily trade a guy or sell a guy um, that wanted to leave. We saw them hold on to, to Twalman and Charlotte Joseph. And, you know, we, you could discuss the merits about that. I'm not going to get into that now. Um, but there was a reputation for the team, certainly, that they didn't always let guys go, you know, Dempsey being an exception. Um, and I think right now, if, if the Revs didn't let Adam Buxa go, I don't think Rioni comes here. I think Rioni came here because he saw what happened with Adam Buxa and because he saw what the revolution have done with players kind of uh, getting European interest and in being and being allowed to leave when the opportunity comes. So, uh, you know, that's the team the revolution are. They're a team that gives guys opportunities to play well and gives them opportunities to move on when those opportunities come. Um, so I, I think you know, if, if the same thing happened again in next year and there were big offers for Petrovic, Frioni, and somebody else on the table, uh, the revolution would have to take them as they come if they're the right offers. Yep, yep. And I, I think people too, I've started to see people saying, boy, uh, Petrovic is uh, going to Europe. So I'm, I'm sticking by my take that he's going to be the highest transfer fee in Rev's history. Uh, in 2024. Uh, it just seems inevitable. Uh, Tristan Price says, with the additions of Rioni and ITS, what is the Revs' ideal attacking formation slash personnel? I'm going to do a caveat here. I think a lot depends on who's healthy. Because I think, really, you find a way to put Rioni and Bo on the field at the same time. You, you want to put Brero on the left, um, you know, left wing at some spot. So so maybe there's a diamond shape or something like that. But uh, I'm not sure if Rioni and Bo are going to be healthy uh, this season. I know it's supposed to be a week-to-week injury for Bo, but who knows? So, uh, and also you don't know about Tajori Shirati. So I don't know if you put heel on the right, put Bo in the middle and kind of do a 4-2-3-1 uh, with Barrero on the left and, and then Rioni up top. I, I, I think that's essentially what you're going to do with attacking formations there. Um, but I'm not, I'm not totally sure. I think in some way, shape, or form, though, you're going to be going back to a 4-2-3-1 with Bo and Heel kind of playing roaming roles like they did in their first season together in 2019. Uh, Sean, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I agree. I don't think there's a way you can put uh, Ismael, Barrero, Bo, Veroni, and Carles Heel all in the field at the same time and put together a formation that actually makes sense. Um, so I don't think we're going to see that. And and, and I, also, <laughs> I also think it's asking a lot for all those guys to be healthy at the same time. So I, I tend to think we're going to see kind of a 4-2-3-1 um, with you know, Veroni leading it. Carlos Hill behind him, uh, Barrero on the wing, and then, you know, Bo or Ismael on the other wing. And again, because unfortunately, all three we're seeing between Ismael, Bo and Barrero, we're seeing, you know, a lot of injuries. I think it's just kind of kind of dependent who's healthy. We're going to see Bo and more of a roaming role on the wing when he's healthy. Um, and when not, you might have two more natural wingers with, with Ismael and Barrero. But um, I, again, I don't think you can get all those guys in the field at the same time and put together a, a workable lineup. So I think a four, two, three, one is the best case for the revolution or the best formation for the revolution. And that means that um, if all those guys happen to be healthy at the same time, one of them is coming off the bench. Uh, but again, I don't think Bo can play every game and you're better off kind of rotating him and not wearing him out. Um, so it's not a bad thing if he spends you know, some time starting sometimes as a sub. Chicken Tender says, Esmir is eligible now to be selected for the first team. He may not work in the team this year as we are fighting for playoffs, but next year, what could happen? And I think that's important to point out. I don't think the Revs want to put 
as Mayor Buck uh, in a situation where, you know, they're in a must-win game and making their MLS debut. So I, I, I'm kind of writing off any appearances for them this year unless it's garbage time uh, or their playoff fate has already been decided. Next year, I could certainly see a situation in which he is sprinkled in. We already kind of talked about the uh, contracts. Bo is running out in 2023. Heel is running out for 2024. I think the Revolution would be smart to get him in the 18 or the 20 or whatever it's called these days uh, and, and sprinkle him in uh, and get him some... 20, 30 minute cameos uh, and, and maybe rest heal a little bit too um, and, and kind of develop him and see what you have there. I'm not sure how much more, I say how much more development he's going to have at Revs too. He's 16. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I wonder if you, you don't have minutes there, do you move him on loan? Um, I don't know. I, I think you're going to have to work in Esmir at some point. Um, and I think early next season would be a good time. Uh, what are your thoughts about Esmir's development here, Sean? Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen Bruce give too many young guys minutes too early. Um, I would like to see Esmir get minutes next year. I don't, I don't think we're going to see him much, if, if at all, this year. I would like to see him get minutes next year, as you said, as kind of a you know substitute role coming in for Carly's heel, get to get him some rest, coming in you know on the wings to get some rest. Um, the, the Rebs don't have a lot of depth in kind of the attacking midfield roles anymore. Um, so I think there should be an opportunity for him to do that. I, I'm less convinced that Bruce is actually going to do that. But, um, you know, we've seen a lot of guys with not get a lot of minutes when they're young, and I think that's maybe hurt their development. But I'd like to see him, you know, be a regular for Revs 2 next season and get substitute minutes for the Revs um, where he can to kind of ease his way into the first team. Whether that's what we actually see or not, I'm not so not so sure he's going to see much of any minutes for the first team. Yep. Uh, one more question here. Randy LH, Matt Doyle sa- uh, thinks the Revs have a good chance of making the playoffs given their schedule down the stretch. Do you agree? And if so, what is the highest playoff spot we could grab? Just a real quick summary of the standings, which I believe I gave at the beginning. Uh, right now, Philadelphia is in first, 45 points. NYCFC, 42. Montreal is at 40. New York Red Bulls, 37. Columbus, 33. Cincinnati, 32. And then it's Chicago, Orlando, Miami, all with 30 points, tied with the Revs. Uh, at 30 points, but the Revs have 23 games played. Miami, Orlando, Chicago all have played 24. So if the Revs, if that's game 24 is a win, uh, hypothetically you project above those three teams and you project above Cincinnati, uh, who has 32 points in 24 games. Uh, right below us, Charlotte, 29 points at 24 games. Uh, Atlanta, 28 points in 23 games. So they're kind of on our tail also. Toronto is surging, 26 points in 24 games. And then D.C. is actually coming in form a little bit as well uh, with the Wayne Rooney bump, uh, but they're down at 22 points in 23 games. I think Toronto and D.C. still have a lot of work to do to get back into this picture, but it's certainly a big clutter with, I think, four points separating 6th and 12th place. So, Sean, uh, do you think the Revs have a good chance of making the playoffs? Yeah, first of all, I think Toronto is going to find a way to at least be very close to the conversation. There's too much talent in that team not to, even though they have dug themselves a a pretty big hole. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think the Revs have a better than even chance of making the playoffs. Um, And if you look at some of the statistical models, they backed it up 538 as a Revs with a 57% chance. Um, Club sport or sports club stats, which is an older site, has a Revs with a 65% chance. Um, And I, I don't know. I think I'd probably say the Revs have about a 60% chance if I was a, a, a betting man. There's a lot of talent on this Revolution squad. We saw what they could do on Saturday. Um, I don't think their schedule is too hard down the stretch. You know, they, they should make the playoffs. Um, with that said, as far as how high they can go, um, realistically, I think fifth seed is is very achievable. Um, fourth seed is possible. I think the the Red Bulls aren't as strong as their record suggests. 
Um, and, you know, it would be good to get a home game by getting the fourth seed. I, I don't know if I can see the Revs getting any higher than that. They're, they're 10 points out of third right now. I, I think that's just, you know, too much to ask with 11 games to go. Um, you know, they're seven points behind New York for fourth. That's a tough ask, too, but I think that's more attainable, especially with the game in hand. So if I'm I say realistically, the best the Revs can hope for is probably fourth. Um, but fifth place is is very attainable. Yeah, I'm not expecting a home playoff game this year, which is disappointing, especially too with the expectations coming into this season. Um, so I agree with you there. Fifth is is really kind of a best case scenario as of August 7th, I'd say. Uh, but who knows, you know, what happens when you get into the playoffs? It's single elimination. Um, the Revs have, you know, I think if they get healthy and they get into form, you know, it, it's not, you know, past the possibility that they run go on a run like New York City FC did last season. So uh, in terms of my chances of them making the playoffs, I think I was 55-45 a few weeks ago. I think I'm still around there. Um, they've taken care of business the last couple of weeks. I know the TFC draw was disappointing, but... Two weeks ago, we kind of talked about you know how many points they needed. We kind of projected 48 to 50. That's kind of usually around where the seven seed gets in. Um, TFC was a game that I wasn't expecting points from, but certainly you hope they took away some points at home. Uh, they got that. Uh, I called this Orlando game a winnable game. Um, I, I kind of lumped it, I think, four, one, two, three, four games where you're hoping to get seven points from, so they got a three-pointer there. Uh, and then they still have some must-win games with DC next week, the LA Galaxy at home, Chicago at home. Um, those should be nine points as well. So there's still some very winnable games on the the, the calendar. There are still games they should win, uh, in my opinion. Um, I think this conversation is going to be a lot more clear after next week at DC because I think next week in DC is really the first this needs to be three points game in a while. So um, I'm curious if Bo and Barrero are back. I'm curious if Frioni is back because if they come out and roll out the same lineup as they did next week, I know it worked in Orlando, but you have a Washington DC team that is playing a little bit better, playing a lot more confident. And I think if you come away with a draw, um, we kind of have to reassess how things are going. So um, yeah, if, if they win, th- get uh, three points next week, I'm feeling a lot better about it. Uh, but right now I, I, I still am leaning towards making the playoffs. Yeah, and you mentioned DC. They, I don't think we've mentioned that they signed Christian Benteke, which is a fantastic signing for them, an experienced striker from the Premier League. Um, I don't know. I, I assume he'll probably be available to play. I don't know if we'll start against the Revs, but um, that's certainly be him making his debut potentially certainly makes it a, a much more difficult game for the Revolution. And then uh, a midweek game at Toronto and then in Montreal, so two games in Canada in short order. Um, it's going to be a not this upcoming week, but the DC game and that week afterwards is going to be a very difficult and, and busy week for the revolution. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the schedule is not broken their way with TFC and DC United suddenly getting good uh, right as the revs start to play them. So um, Sean, that just about wraps us up. This has been a very long episode. We apologize to our listeners, but there was a lot to cover today between the summer transfer window uh, and this game. We wanted to talk a lot about this game in Orlando uh, for good reason. Uh, a lot to uh, good things happening this week uh, and a lot of news this week. So uh, Sean, the, as I say, wraps us up. Any final thoughts and where can people find you on social media? Yeah, you can find me at Sean L. Donahue. Um, no, no final thoughts today. <laughs> uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Revolution Recap. Please follow our Revolution Recap Instagram and Facebook pages. We're still trying to get our numbers up on there. Also, thank you to someone. I don't have the name in front of me. 
Sean, look up who gave us a review on iTunes. We got another review on iTunes. Thank you so much for that review. If you want to be cool like the guy whose name I forgot, please, please, please give us a review on iTunes and give us five stars. We're trying to get to 100 uh, before the end of the year. Uh, also, be sure to follow The Bent Musket on Twitter at The Bent Musket and follow their work online at www.thebentmusket.com for year-round coverage. Also, be sure to follow our friends in The Rebellion at The Rebellion on Twitter and go to anyrebellion.org to learn more about them. And check out our sponsor, Galasso Kits, and use promo code REVSRECAP cap for 15 percent off your order at galasso kits sean you didn't look up that name by chance i, I sure did thank you mr f for the nice review mr f you are the man so if you want to be cool like mr f and esteban who left us a review last week go to itunes right now uh, and leave us a review uh, and also please make sure you are subscribed on itunes wherever you're listening tell your friends tell your family uh, tell people who aren't revs fans to just go subscribe and review our podcast to help us out so also i think we're back next week Following the DC United game, we also do have some Twitter Spaces shows coming up, I believe. We have some Wednesday night games, and normally we do Twitter Spaces after that. So we do have some exciting episodes coming up this month. Hopefully uh, a couple of Twitter Spaces episodes and maybe a bonus episode coming your way. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Stay tuned to Revolution Recap all month as we come down the stretch this season. Uh, And until next time, thank you all for listening and go Revs.